It delights me to see people here I haven't met yet before, so I'm glad to see new people and just to see others coming who enjoy sitting quietly and meditating and contemplating the Dhamma together, so welcome. Gwen and I just got back today from a few days camping. Um, We went up to the Craig's uh, campground, which is um, near the Mennonite camp, not far away from Divide. And, uh, you know, there were three of us that went. Darcy also joined us. And, you know, it didn't took us an hour to get there and an hour to set up camp, even though we were setting up camp in the rain. And the campground is right by a river, a little stream. And um, we got there Thursday and set up camp. We had each tents and um, simple enough food, but good enough food, and fires in the evening time. And lots of space to walk in the wilderness and also just to contemplate. And in a context like that, it's it's apparent um, the stress of living in a city. And, you know, even though sometimes I think I really love living here because we're, we're, we live right close to the Garden of the Gods and we go walking every day, there's ways in which the impact of the, the noise of the cars and just the, the details of many things to do and the impressions of contact Um, there's a kind of tightness that builds up. And so being in the campground where the circumstances were much simpler, you know, just there was earth and fire and air and water and um, the ability to be present to things, I could feel my whole system relaxing and kind of unfolding or unspooling, uncoiling in 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 a way that just highlighted the the edges of tension that I was holding before I left that I wasn't particularly aware. So in a context like that, that's very simple, it's also um, conducive to picking up themes of Dhamma and looking at aspects of the mind or aspects of practice in a way that in, in our daily life our attention is dispersed over many different topics and duties and things and it's hard to follow a theme. So one of the themes that was interesting to me was watching the nature of desire how desire operates and how when one follows it, one follows thoughts that are inclining towards desire, what the consequences are. So part of this is the result of many uh, talks already around the Four Noble Truths and the Four Noble Truths, the pinnacle of what keeps the cycle of suffering perpetuating is desire. Desire, how it arises and how it gets enacted and followed and then the consequences of all of that. So, in addition to all of this, one of the things that's been happening for me in the last uh, two weeks is is that I've been involved in a a process of neurofeedback. And so somebody straps these electrodes onto my brain and then syncs me up to a computer. And the screen, um, she's got the guideline on which brain waves she thinks are good. And the computer has the screen, which when your brain waves are good, it, the, the screen increases and the volume increases. And when your brain waves are outside of the range of what she has decided is what she wants to train 
your brain to, to develop, then the screen complac- contracts and contracts and the sound diminishes so that you can't hear anything. And she's playing DVDs on planet Earth. So it's about life and creatures and nature and oceans and, and mountains and deserts and forests. And, and so it's life on, on planet Earth. And so watching what's happening with my brain waves, because you, you don't have a muscle that goes to your brain. So you don't, it, it's not like there, you, you make a muscle and your arm goes. You know, it's trying to figure out what, what's actually making the bandwidth go in this particular range and what's making it outside of this range. And the case with me, as is the case with everybody, when you get plugged into one of these things, you're, you're trying all kinds of things until you figure it out. Well, it's actually not that complicated. When your attention is relaxed and resting and you're not following desire, it's in the right bandwidth. And when your attention is not relaxed and you're not resting and you are following desire, you're outside of the bandwidth. And so for me to see that mirrored on the screen was very interesting. So this whole concept of watching desire has been highlighted also by this neurofeedback mechanism. So when you're watching Planet Earth movie or DVD, you know, there's stories about lions and elephants and, and dolphins and there's monkeys and there's, and there's all these kinds of creatures and there's plants. And it's like there's a couple basic themes that run through everything. One is survival, the other is procreation, and the other is protecting the young and protecting territory and getting enough food. So the whole kind of ethos of what supports life on Earth is framed around desire. And as I'm watching this again and again and again and again and again and again and again with elephants and with lions and with baboons and with trees and with grasses and with birds and with octopus and with porpoises and with there's a sense of I really like to see the babies and the loveliness and the sweetness and the tenderness and the kindness and I don't like to see the hunting and the death and the survival and the famines and the struggle and so when I see what I like then I, my attention goes out, and as my attention grabs onto what I like, the bandwidth dis- mm. d- diminishes. And the same thing is when I'm watching something I don't like, when I'm watching the hunting, and when I'm watching the famines, and when I'm watching the struggle, and when I'm watching the... And my body starts tightening around that, bandwidth diminishes. So for me, what was interesting about that is this is the neurofeedback mechanism about Patichu Samupada. <laughs> This is a neurofeedback mechanism that's showing my brain waves. Uh, visually, I'm getting a brain, I'm getting an indication of when I'm following desire and when I'm not following desire. So even if it's really exciting, like the, some of the, the colors are fantastic, and I want to see, and I want to know, and I want to, and the bandwidth starts mm-hmm. diminishing. And so what I've had to learn is, is, is that in that process of working in this neurofeedback, what is needed is relaxed, alert attention where I bring my attention back into my center. I get to see where I'm either grasping or pushing or tightening or contracting. Relax, and then the bandwidth expands again. The screen expands again. So this whole process of the neurofeedback has again highlighted simple things that we've been talking about for a while now, the process of desire and the way that we get caught in it and the kind of absolutely all-pervasive nature of suffering that exists in our world and how to relate to it in a way which is skillful. 
So one of the things that I was thinking about today is, is that there's a refrain that you hear in the Pali Canon that is said again and again and again and again and again. And the refrain is the gratification, the danger, and the escape. So when we look at desire, we have got to accept that when we follow desire, there's a certain gratification that comes from it. To think otherwise or to say otherwise or to postulate otherwise is actually contrary to the truth. So anything, you know, a cup of coffee, hot hot food when you're cold, cool food when you're hot, you know, a shower when you're dirty, anything that you long for on the physical world, on the sense world, in terms of, of sense pleasure, in terms of becoming someone, in terms of getting rid of something, in terms of views and opinions that one believes in, any place where our attention follows desire, there's a gratification. And obviously, you know, our culture, which is based on consumerism, has capitalized on that to make gratification of desire the thing that runs this country. And so the advertising is based on the fact that if you gratify your desire, then you will be a happier, more fulfilled, more balanced person. And a lot of people live as if that were true. So coming back down the highway, I noticed that Manitou Springs has a storage unit. So there's not enough space in your house for all the things you have. So you need to rent space somewhere else to put the things that you can't fit in your house into the storage unit. So what's happening is, is, is that there's a sense that the more a person has, then the better it's a person will be. And yet, you know, at some point, one has to begin to have a really close examination about what's actually happening with the mechanism of desire and whether or not that actually leads to fulfillment in a lasting way. So the first element is that there's gratification. And so one has to see that when you have your desires gratified, there is a certain kind of sense of relaxation or ease or fulfillment that comes. One has to register that that actually is the case. And that's true with all of our desires. But there's also a danger that immediately follows. And the danger is, is, is that as soon as our attention leaves our center, where our attention is actually clearly focused in the present moment, and is not absorbing onto anything that's external, whether it be a sense contact, a view, the desire to have or to get rid of, desire to become. As soon as the attention moves out of the center point, then one is invested in the fulfillment of that desire as the source of one's happiness. And because everything that we desire on these kind of levels is subject to the laws of nature which is is that they're change they don't inherently have the capacity to satisfy and there isn't anything inherently in it that you can call a substantial thing by itself we are investing in something that by its nature cannot last or cannot fulfill us So if our sense of happiness and our sense of fulfillment is based on something that cannot fulfill us, then the danger is is, is that eventually we fall flat on our face and realize with the kind of disappointment and sense of sorrow that what we've invested in is very disappointing. It doesn't last. 
Now, it doesn't mean that we have to run around as naked ascetics, you know, where we can't have a clothing or, a, or a, we can't live in a house that has a door, we can't have food, we can't be involved in relationships that are nourishing and respectful. But what it means is that our relationship with the world has got to change in accordance with our right understanding. So rather than expecting the things or the people or the relationships or the having or the not having or the views and the opinions to be the thing that is going to be ultimately satisfying, we recognize that there's no possible way that that's going to be the case. So the gratification is, is that when we get what we want, it feels great. Or when we get rid of what we don't want, it feels great. The danger is, is that we get confused about what is actually happening that we've invested in something which is impermanent and not satisfactory ultimately. And that we forget that where our real happiness is, is maintaining that relaxed, alert attention in the present. So the escape, then, is to recognize that every time we follow desire without any kind of awareness, then what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up for crashing. For, you know, up a creek without a paddle, up against a wall, in our face. And so the escape then is to begin to have a kind of alert attention that begins to be something which is our, our priority. That no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, no matter how we are, what kind of activity we're engaged in, that is what we are doing. Our attention is relaxed and alert, and we're watching this movement of following desire and recoiling from that which is painful. Following desire, recoiling from that which is painful. Following desire, recoiling from that which is painful. When we are able to maintain a still point of centeredness, of clarity, where mindfulness begins to suffuse our activities throughout our day, then the choices that we make are moving more towards compassion and wisdom rather than towards pleasure and away from pain. And as our life shifts from the lineage of gratification of pleasure towards the embodiment of compassion and wisdom, then we have less of this kind of up and down cycle of pleasure, the ecstasy of pleasure and the collapse of disappointment. And we have more the steadiness of a heart that's aligned with its own integrity, with its own values, with its own sense of what's right, that does the right thing independent of how difficult it is or how challenging it is. So, you know, it took an hour for us to get up to this campground. It took an hour for us to set up camp. And yet somehow when you're in an environment which is simpler, you know, these things are a little bit more easy to see. You know, because first of all, there's more time, there's less complexity, and there's something about just the the immediacy of hot and cold and warm, hunger and food and dirty and clean and and skies and earth that it's just right there. You know, it's not hidden, it's not covered, it's just right there. Now, it's right here, here as well. I mean, it's not like it goes anywhere else, but we get the overlay of social structures and what's expected and our roles and our duties and our responsibilities and who we're supposed to say what to and when we're supposed to respond to the telephone call. All of the 
the, the pressures of the fabric of our relatedness sometimes obscures the immediacy of gratification, danger, and escape. Because we're in the middle of mode rather than in the process of reflection. And so I think, you know, looking at what happened just, you know, having two days out, I mean, it was not a big deal. But I think it's for this reason why, you know, the Buddha set it up, that in a contemplative lifestyle, it's useful to have times of retreat, times of simplicity, monasteries where you can practice and spiritual communities that you practice with, so that you can have oasises that support that kind of contemplative reflecting together environments that support being able to make those inquiries that's not kind of socially taboo. Well, you can talk about stuff like that, whereas normally, you know, at work you don't, you know. You don't talk about stuff like that at work. So watching desire and watching how it arises in the medium of the moment, it's like it doesn't have to be, you know, a big fancy house or a million-dollar car. It can be just the desire for the pain in the knees to go away, the desire for the sneezing to go away, the desire for the clock to stop ticking so loudly, the desire for the horses not to poo on the street. You know, whatever it is, just that movement of wanting or not wanting, and then the movement of following it, that outward moving that actually believes that if I get what I want or I have what I want or I don't have what I want, that's going to be satisfying. Now, within this whole topic, obviously, one of the things that's very strong for us to navigate is sexual desire. And so it's not an opinion about whether sexual desire is good or bad. It's just an observation that this is a very strong force to work with. And so when there's the willingness to work with this force with reflection rather than just in terms of expression then there's a way of working with this energy so that it's actually utilized in meditation practice. So I remember His Holiness the Dalai Lama was talking about this once, and he was saying, it has nothing to do about whether sex is bad. It's because you can actually survive without having sex. That might be hard for some people to imagine, but it can be, can be a statement of truth. <laughs> and when a person is willing to work with that desire at that level, it has a very strong effect on being able to work with how the mind moves towards desire in the whole picture. Now, celibacy is not an easy lifestyle, and that's not that I think that it's the lifestyle of choice. But it was interesting for me to hear His Holiness the Dalai Lama reflect on it in that way. And as a result of that, that's why he thought that the monastic life or the life of celibacy had value as a contemplative for being willing to take on board this energy, reflect on it, without actually engaging in an expression of it. And then people who are in relationship, who are in intimacy, then their practice is to actually bring that into their practice. You know, so this is not a kind of black box that this one sets outside, but actually explores. It's strong stuff. So sexual desire, the fear of death, the fear of annihilation, the fear of being shamed, these kind of desires or fears, you know, when we are able to investigate how they operate in our lives and the kind of ways that they motivate the choices that we make and start reflecting on them so that they're not driving us, then there's another level of settling back in our own skin and feeling a sense of ease and peace and relaxation. 
because then it's like we're the master of our own ship. We're not being pushed around by all kinds of forces that are moving through us in ways that we don't see how they're actually operating. So this simple thing, this simple statement, the gratification, the danger, and the escape, you know, it actually is profound in terms of its implications when we start looking at that, how it affects us as human beings and the choices that we make, what we actually decide, how we live our lives. And to be really conversant with the gratification that comes when we satisfy our desires. How delicious that is. I remember Ajahn Pasana was giving a talk on this theme on desire. And he quoted Winnie the Pooh. I love that when monks quote Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) And he was talking about Pooh. You know, Pooh loved honey. And he loved to have honey at tea, and he loved to have honey at breakfast, and he loved to think about having honey. And he said, the best part of having honey wasn't, was the moment right before you got to eat it. It's that anticipation of how wonderful it will be in the future. The honey itself sometimes is not as, as tantalizing and delicious and wonderful as the anticipation of how wonderful it will be. And that really uh, encapsulates the nature of what we're dealing with. It's the mind's hankering after something, that moment before, which is really the place where we have the possibility of reflecting working with, investigating, and seeing what's actually happening. So, you know, I'm watching these DVDs of planet Earth and watching the screen increase and the screen decrease. And fascinating to see for myself. When I follow desire, it contracts. When attention is alert and rested, it expands. And when I can keep that alert, rested attention through the places where I normally are desiring and through the places where I'm normally contracting, then the screen stays expanded. So one has the capacity to begin to to learn how to relate to the world of desire and fear and sadness and contraction in a way where one is not investing in the habitual response mechanisms towards them, wanting it and getting it, moving away from it and contracting, but just staying still and centered. So one of the other things that was interesting about our little camping trip was is, is that yesterday we went on a long hike. So we walked to Catamount Reservoir, which is probably about a 12-mile hike where we finished. And it was very interesting for some of us to recognize that, you know, it, it's not even so much a question of, of insight or wisdom or profound uh, realization, but perseverance and just like where the where the tire meets the road just working stuff out you know a long day hiking and it's amazing how much stuff settles out you know it's like it doesn't have the momentum to 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 meet the the kind of resistances and battling inside when you just 12 miles walking it out And then the stuff that's burning inside, you know, 
cold water. It's like it's not so personal. You put cold water on a body where there's a lot of fire element and the whole thing cools out. So, you know, in some ways we can work with these things in terms of our personal understanding and insight. In some ways we can work with them in terms of elements and just bringing balance where balance is needed. And sometimes what was just needed is perseverance. Just hitting the road. <laughs> Staying there for a while. You know, ups and downs and ravines and sun and cool and water and hot and dry and a day of it. And you come back at the end of it and there's just a lot more settled out. You know, just settled out. So that's not brilliance. That's perseverance. And, you know, we're not that great with patience and perseverance in this culture. You know? You can't get that at a fast food restaurant. So, but in terms of our own practice, in terms of our own understanding of the ingredients that are needed, it's really helpful to have that as part of our frame of reference, that that really supports this whole process of understanding gratification, danger, and escape. You know, we don't have to take all of it so personally. Just need to bide time and let something settle out. So some reflections to consider for this evening, and uh, we can stop now and have a break and have some tea. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.